Hello and a warm welcome to this week's Wildlife Matters podcast with me, your host, Nigel Palmer. Wildlife Matters became one of the leading wildlife and nature podcasts in 2023 by building a community of wildlife and nature lovers just like you through this podcast. We have used our voice to support a range of campaigns to end the persecution and cruelty to animals. And we have exposed the fox hunters, hair courses, grouse shooters and badger colours as part of Wildlife Matters Investigates. And we will be increasing our investigations in 2024. We've also raised awareness of projects around the UK to protect native wildlife and rewilding and have been inspired by seeing these species in their wild environments. Here at Wildlife Matters, we love flora and enjoyed taking you on several walks last year in habitats as diverse as ancient woodland, grass meadows and wet grasslands. And from your feedback, you enjoyed them too. So we will be bringing you even more adventures with the animals and in habitats throughout 2024. Today, we are taking the opportunity to update you on two of our core campaigns. The fur trade has a devastating impact on animals and the environment. We tell you why and what Wildlife Matters is doing to help strengthen and enforce the ban on fur imports in the UK, as there are way too many actual fur products still being sold as fake fur on our high streets. Then we will be updating you on the badger culls in England and Wales and our ongoing work to stop the culls and address the issue of bovine TB that's primarily found in intensively farmed dairy cattle. In this week's Nature News, we share the latest update that avian influenza has been found in Antarctica where it has killed birds but also mammals. And as always, we slow down and take a break from the pace of the modern world to spend time in nature on this week's Mindful Moments. But first, let's head straight to the news desk for this week's Wildlife Matters Nature News. Hello and welcome to this week's Wildlife Matters Nature News, where we bring you the news that bird flu has made its way into elephant and fur seal populations for the first time on the sub-Antarctic island of South Georgia. A team of scientists from the UK Animal and Plant Health Agency has confirmed, setting off alarm bells for conservationists as the highly contagious disease has already killed millions of birds worldwide. Scientists first suspected the presence of avian influenza near Antarctica in October 2023, 
Following the death of several brown skewer seabirds on Bird Island, part of the British Overseas Territory of South Georgia and the South Sandwich Islands, then elephant seals started dying en masse. In December, scientists from the APHA and the British Antarctic Survey, or BAS, spent three weeks in the affected islands collecting samples from dead mammals and birds. The APHA has confirmed that those samples tested positive for the bird flu HPAIH5M1 in elephant seals, fur seals, brown skewers, kelp gulls and Antarctic terns. Given that Antarctica is such a unique and special biodiversity hotspot, it is sad and concerning to see the disease spread to the mammals in the region, said the APHA's Scientific Services Director Ian Brown. The current world outbreak of H5N1, which began in 2021, has so far killed millions of birds on poultry farms and scientists fear its impact on Antarctic wildlife could be devastating. The virus has the potential to infect 48 species of birds and 26 species of marine mammals, according to a report published last month by OFLU, a global network of animal influenza experts. OFLU analysed samples indicated that migratory birds from South America had been most likely to introduce the virus to South Georgia. Seals are known to scavenge and may become infected when they consume infected bird carcasses, said ecologist Alistair Ward of the University of Leeds. Thousands of seals and hundreds of thousands of birds congregate in dense colonies in Antarctica which could allow the virus to jump between individuals quickly, resulting in a high mortality, Oflu said. Penguins, Antarctica's most iconic animals, do not yet appear to have been impacted by the virus, with no reports showing above-average penguin mortality. The British Antarctic Survey, which operates two research stations in South Georgia, has suspended scientific fieldwork involving human contact with animals following the confirmed cases. The International Association of Antarctica Tour Operators has also instructed boats not to land at some sites on South Georgia and the Antarctic Peninsula, fueling a global concern about the virus spread to imperiled wildlife populations Alaskan officials confirmed last week that the first known case of a polar bear dying from H5M1 avian bird flu in the Arctic. Highly pathogenic avian influenza was detected in captive European mink in northern Spain in October 2022 and then in otters and foxes in southern England soon afterwards. In 2023, it was seen in seals and sea lions around Europe and the Americas and most recently in an Alaskan polar bear. Considering the breadth of the geographical distribution of species affected, the discovery of the same strain in seals and seabirds found dead in South Georgia is unsurprising 
the influenza virus is believed to have spread from intensive chicken farms. It is another clear indication that keeping animals in intensive conditions has a destructive and potentially devastating impact, not only on those animals, but on the natural world and all of us who live in it. Wildlife Matters is concerned that nearly 200 avian influenza cases in England alone have been severe enough to close the facility and a 10 kilometer exclusion zone has been put in place until all birds on that farm have been destroyed. There was an outbreak in East Devon as recently as January 2024. Whilst the government maintains that there is no threat to humans, the truth is that all viruses mutate and we must continue to monitor the virus mutations regularly as we know that the virus can pass from birds to mammals already. Still, critically, we should be looking to reduce the intensity of farmed animals around the world as a matter of extreme urgency. Now, before we look at the Wildlife Matters campaign to end the fur trade, let's hear from our partners at One Voice for Animals. After the fantastic response to our interviews with Lucy from Wild Things Rescue and the founder of One Voice for Animals, Val Green MBE, I'm so pleased that we will be bringing you a series of interviews very soon with some of the fascinating groups and organizations that are part of the One Voice for Animals family. Exciting news! Wildlife Matters has formed a partnership with the fabulous folk at One Voice for Animals. Our partnership aims to raise awareness of the work of the many independent rescues that are part of the One Voice for Animals family. One Voice for Animals works to create awareness of the work of rescue organizations all around the UK to provide practical support that is raising standards for animal rescues and helping them to raise the vital funds that they need. The One Voice for Animals directory is the place to go to find your local animal rescue, be that for companion or wild animals. And collectively, One Voice for Animals works to influence UK animal welfare issues on behalf of their member organisations and is a member of APGOR the All-Parliamentary Group for Animal Welfare. For more information, please visit the One Voice for Animals website. Their website address is www.helpanimals.co.uk. And just in case you've missed that, get your pen and papers ready. The website address is www.helpanimals.co.uk. UK. Now let's get back to the Wildlife Matters podcast. Hello. 
Hello and welcome to this week's Wildlife Matters Investigates, where today we are looking at one of our core campaigns, and that is to stop the fur trade around the world, and specifically to stop the fur that's getting into Britain around the ban and ending up on our high streets. The global fur industry is a profitable business that generates over $40 billion annually. The industry is mainly dominated by a few prominent players, many of whom are based in Asia. As a result, the production process has been concentrated in countries with low labor costs and little regard for animal welfare. The fur industry has been a growing concern worldwide again in recent years. From tanneries to slaughterhouses, animals have been subjected to terrible cruelty and abuse. In response to these concerns, there has been an increase in initiatives and products that support ethical practices and fair trade principles. The fur is still being used in clothing in the 21st century, despite the availability of viable alternatives. Wildlife Matters believes that it is not justifiable to use the skin of animals for this purpose, especially considering the brutal process that animals go through so we can obtain their fur. The fur industry has a devastating impact on its environment. Fur coats require large amounts of non-renewable energy and resources to produce, resulting in intensive local pollution. Although the fur industry employs hundreds of thousands of people worldwide, its production processes severely impact their environment in the countries it is produced in. The animals that are bred, hunted and trapped to create these products suffer immense pain and their populations have dwindled due to the demand for fur clothing. It is a moral issue we must face as the environmental cost of the fur trade is far too high. The cruelty of the fur trade has had a devastating impact on specific animal populations. In the fur farms, creatures are forced to endure cramped conditions and unspeakable suffering, unable to escape the torment that awaits them. Their cries of distress are not even heard, going unanswered as they are subjected to painful, barbaric practices of killing, akin to torture. With no consideration for their well-being, the animal welfare cost of the fur trade is nothing less than a tragedy. Five species are brutally farmed and exploited around the world for their fur. The American mink are carnivorous semi-aquatic mustelids found in North America, but humans have introduced them to Europe, South America, and Australia. The mink in the wild feed on prey such as rodents, fish, crustaceans, frogs, and birds. And around 50 million mink are bred each year to be killed in the fur trade. The captive females give birth once a year in the early spring, 
usually to three or four kits in May. The kits are then vaccinated against botulism, distemper, enteritis and pneumonia. The best ones will be kept for breeding, while the rest will be killed in November and December for their fur. The chinchilla and the chinchilla langera are charming creatures known for their cheek pouches that expand to store food. They are crepuscular, meaning they are most active at dawn and dusk. The chinchilla chinchilla has a shorter tail, a thicker neck and shoulders and shorter ears than the chinchilla langera. In their natural habitat, they live in burrows or crevices in rocks and eat plants, leaves, fruits and seeds, and sometimes small insects. They live in social groups called herds, which range in size from 10 to 100 members. They rely on these for social interaction and protection from predators, such as birds of prey, skunks, felines and snakes. When under threat in the wild, chinchillas have various defensive tactics, including spraying urine and releasing their fur. They can breed at any time of the year and their gestation period is 111 days and that's longer than most rodents. Litters are usually small with predominantly two to three offspring. The international trade in chinchilla fur dates back to the 16th century and is named after the Chincha people of the Andes. By the end of the 19th century though, chinchillas have become rare. The fur trade has already driven one species of chinchilla to extinction. The remaining two species are now endangered and extinct across much of their original home range. In 1923, Matthias F. Chapman bought 11 wild chinchillas to the US for breeding and this small population now supplies the fur and pet trade worldwide. The red fox, or Volpis vulpis, is one of the most widely distributed members of the carnivores present across the entire northern hemisphere. It ranges from the Arctic Circle to North Africa through North America and Eurasia. The species primarily feeds on small rodents, though it may also take rabbits, birds, reptiles, invertebrates and young ungulates. Fruit and vegetable matter is also eaten on a regular basis. The adult fox is smaller than most other members of the genus Volpes. Fur of the red fox is finely commuted and bright reddish brown. The bushy tail has a white tip that can also be manipulated to signal its position or move. Other physical features include narrow black legs and black tipped ears. The front paws of the fox are slightly larger than its feet, indicating that it spends a lot of time digging with them. It has long hairs from the top of its foot that pass between its toes, making it easier for a fox to run on snow. Levels of melanism in wild foxes are variable. Even within natural populations, there can be significant variations in color phases from blue, silver, black and cross. 
The rare all-black species, known as silver foxes, have a particular fascination for the fur industry. Red foxes bred in captivity can come in an endless array of exotic colours and patterns, from natural mutations to those deliberately cultivated by humans through selective breeding. Many of the foxes look drastically different from their wild counterparts. They have a much smaller or sometimes much larger frame, a lack of the familiar musky scent and even genetic disorders such as haemophilia. Yet, for all their natural resilience, foxes in captive fur farms suffer from centuries of selective breeding and are prone to genetic issues and they carry debilitating diseases. Just like humans, no two foxes are ever the same. The raccoon dog and cats. Despite the appalling conditions in which animals are kept in Chinese fur farms, there are no consequences for those who abuse them or own a fur farm. Over two million cats and hundreds of thousands of raccoon dogs are killed for their fur every year, and most of them are skinned alive. While the United Kingdom, the United States and the European Union have implemented measures to prevent importing, exporting and selling cat and dog fur products, these products are still available in some countries due to legal loopholes. Novelty items made from farmed cat and dog fur can be found as trim on garments such as boots, jackets, handbags and animal toys. Although purchasing these items is legal, many animal lovers will be shocked to know that the fur is real. Believing the ban on fur in place within their countries would prevent this. They are sadly and deliberately being misled by the fur industry. And when they're made aware of the items they have contain natural dog or cat fur, even if it is labelled as faux fur, they are repulsed and find it morally wrong. The fur farming industry has caused immense suffering to rabbits, but especially to the Rex breed. Breeding animals are forced to live in captivity for up to three years, being impregnated and separated from their kits twice a year. The kits are taken away from their mothers at just four weeks old and are placed in nurseries with other rabbits. After seven or eight weeks, they are moved to their individual cages where they live for six to seven months before being killed for their fur. The rabbits will remain in barren wire mesh cages their whole lives, deprived of the love and warmth of companionship. Despite cage size regulations, the Rex breed's mortality rate remains high at 10 to 15% and this is mainly due to respiratory diseases. And let's not forget the byproducts of fur farms because these people will sell anything. And whilst humans rarely consume farmed animal meat, its use is widespread in other industries. Carcasses from fur farms are used in the pet food, animal feed, compost, fertilizer, paints, and even tires. 
Some fur farm carcasses are donated to zoos and aquariums for animal consumption. And in China, even existing fur farm animals are fed with the carcasses of their predecessors. Feces are commonly used as fertilizers for crops and animal fat is frequently used to make soap, cosmetics and in leather treatments. The fur industry is a multi-billion dollar industry that imprisons animals in cruel conditions only to kill them for their fur. Although most fur is commercially farmed, some still hold on to the view of fur as a symbol of wealth and status. Wildlife Matters firmly opposes the use of fur and sees no place for it in today's society. We believe that there is no excuse for wearing fur, even one that is vintage or antique as wearing the skin of a dead animal shows a lack of compassion, ethics and morals and a complete disregard for the welfare of animals. Wildlife Matters is working with other groups and organisations to strengthen the ban on fur imports into the UK and to end the worldwide cruel and immoral fur trade. And that has been this week's Wildlife Matters Investigates, looking at the Wildlife Matters core campaign of the fur trade. And after that, I'm sure you would like to take a little time to slow down, breathe and relax as you join me by the side of a crystal clear stream deep in the heart of an ancient woodland. And let's listen to the sounds of nature that are all around us. Well, I hope you enjoyed that and wherever you are right now you imagined yourself standing beside that free flowing stream breathing the fresh air and immersing yourself deep within nature now it's time for our main feature and it's a subject that we have and will continue to cover until we can put an end to the inhumane ineffective and incredibly expensive badger coals 
and use that funding to develop a science-based solution to the issue of bovine TB. As we ask, why is the British government still killing badgers? Over the past decade, the British government has authorised the killing of badgers as part of a bovine tuberculosis eradication programme. Despite warnings from their own scientific advisors, professors and conservationists that culling badgers will have no impact on the spread of bovine tuberculosis, the government has continued and even accelerated the culling of badgers, expanding from two zones in 2013 to 72 zones in 2022. Cull contractors and farmers have already killed over 175,000 badgers with 75,000 deaths in 2022 alone and a further 53,000 licensed for 2023 of which we are currently waiting the government to publish the data. Then there are the supplementary culls that run in 43 of the 72 badger cull zones and allow the killing of badgers from the 1st of June until the 31st of January. The data from these supplementary culls is harder to find than an undisturbed badger set in a cull zone. Although badgers are protected under the 1992 Protection of Badgers Act, this policy threatens to push the species close to extinction as Nature England's license numbers are based on estimates rather than factual figures. In addition, there is evidence that coal contractors are killing more badgers than they report and some farmers are killing badgers all year round. Jeremy Clarkson's controversial statements have reignited the debate on the effectiveness of culling badgers to control the spread of bovine TB. While some people see it as an opportunity to open up a discussion, others argue that the move signifies that the farming industry disregards nature and wildlife to prioritise their profits. Despite the government's claims that their culling policy has had a positive impact on controlling bovine TB, their own data suggests otherwise. Infection rates in cows remain high and badgers are paying the price with their lives. This has left many of us confused and divided on how to tackle this problem. The British government's bovine TB eradication policy has failed. With over 175,000 innocent badgers have suffered a senseless slaughter. Meanwhile, cows in intensive dairy farms endure a wretched life of infection, exacerbating their excruciating pain as they become afflicted with a crippling disease that will either kill them or force them to be destroyed. Farmers who have invested over £100,000 of their own money in the UK government's bovine TB eradication programme still struggle to tackle the disease in their herds. Despite following the government's guidelines, they feel their efforts have been disregarded and many now demand an explanation. 
Badgers have been waiting for someone to turn to for help for the past 10 years. However, direct action groups have come together, comprising brave individuals who risk their lives every night to traverse the coal zones, defuse traps, and prevent contractors from carrying out the senseless slaughter. Although none of the badgers killed have tested positive for bovine TB, the government continues to ignore the fact that it is not the badgers. Wildlife Matters supports these courageous individuals who stand up for the creatures who cannot stand up for themselves. Wildlife Matters has been actively campaigning against the badger culls since 2009, when the former Prime Minister William Hague announced that a future Conservative government intended to license the badger culls in a desperate attempt to get them elected and to ensure they got the countryside vote, they also said they would overturn the ban on fox hunting. The future government clearly lacked morals from the start, and no one knew back then just how far they would get their noses up the arses of the big landowners, further than a farmer artificially inseminating a dairy cow. We have worked with NGOs, scientists, conservationists and veterinarians and helped win two parliamentary debates and legal challenges. We have also worked with groups on the front line and talked directly to farmers within the coal zones. The government has announced that it won't stop licensing the badger coals until 2026. In the meantime, they could kill upwards of another 300 thousand badgers. By 2026 there may be no badgers left in the southwest of the UK and very few throughout the rest of the country. That's why we continue to take action and raise awareness. Right now in January 2024 the badger coals are ongoing in what are known as the supplementary coal zones. These supplementary zones are in the majority of the 72 coal zones and allow coal contractors to kill badgers within the zone at any time they decide. This even includes placing cage traps directly outside the entrance to badger sets, which is not only immoral, but contravenes the terms of their license. We need to reinforce and increase direct protection by supporting the groups on the front line with the equipment they need and by providing fuel and food to keep them on their front line. Wildlife Matters will work collaboratively with any NGO, scientist, conservationist or politician who actively supports an end to the pointless killing of badgers and an immediate end to the policy of badger culling. We are committed to supporting research and scientific methods to control and stop the spread of bovine tuberculosis in cattle. In the medium term, we aim to end slurry spread while improving hygiene on intensive farms as they move away from that business model. We also support the work of veterinarians and scientists in developing the BCG vaccine as a viable solution. Bovine TB is a zoonotic disease, which means it can pass to humans, where it is known as tuberculosis. 
While bovine TB is a different viral infection from the SARS COVID-19, it has a similar effect on the respiratory system and major organs of those infected, be they human or animal. We are currently planning a series of open talks with farmers in the Southwest to work together towards three goals. The first is to end the culling of badgers for good. The second is to control bovine TB through vaccines, improved farm hygiene, and reducing the intensity of cattle on dairy farms. And the third is to create a working coalition of politicians, NGOs, and individuals who oppose badger culling and with the support of the British public, take that message to Parliament. We are working towards a new government petition that will be published soon. We need your help. We need 10,000 initial signatures and 100,000 to ensure a debate in Parliament. And we need your support to achieve this. Please share the petition with your family, friends and colleagues and encourage them to do the same. Of course, you can make a one-off or regular donation via our link to support our cause. Badgers are a protected species essential to our landscape's biodiversity. They have been in Britain far longer than humans and are an end host of bovine TB, meaning that they can carry the disease but rarely die from it. Crucially, badgers do not transmit bovine TB and never forget that bovine TB is a cattle disease and is still uncommon on non-intensive dairy farms. Stopping the Badger Coals is one of Wildlife Matters core campaigns and we will continue to highlight the lack of government data to support their claims, the power of the intensive dairy farming industry and the devastating impact of bovine TB on cattle. And of course, we will continue to stand up and speak out for the badgers that are being killed for no good reason. And that has been this week's Wildlife Matters main feature. When you listen to the facts, isn't it a damning indictment of the UK government and its flawed bovine TB eradication policy that has had a decade to get to grips with the issue of bovine TB and yet has mistakenly focused on killing badgers and that despite the science, the cost and the opposition of the majority of the British public will never stop the transmission of bovine TB between cattle. Yet they continue to do the same thing over and over again, hoping something might change. This is certainly the modern definition of madness of our current politicians. Wildlife Matters will be back in two weeks and we will be taking you on a wildflower walk and spending the night with the Pine Martins. And that is something I know you will not want to miss. 
to please subscribe and follow us on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to follow us on social media. You will find Wildlife Matters Organization on all the major social media platforms. And please, if you have enjoyed this podcast, spread the joy by telling your friends, family and colleagues and help us to build a larger community with an even louder voice that will make a real difference for wildlife and nature. But for now, thank you for your time and for choosing to listen to us today. I'm your host, Nigel Palmer, and this is Wildlife Matters, signing off.